Hi, Ivar. What was your first computer? It depends on what you mean by a computer. But you, if you mean, uh, let's say, personal computer, it was actually an Apple II. Huh. In uh, <coughs> Apple IIc. Uh-huh. So it was an advanced computer. And at that time, uh, basically no one used uh, uh, laptops or similar. Mm -hmm. My... Um, uh, I, I worked at Ericsson, and Ericsson, uh, uh -huh. no one had it. No mm -hmm. one had it. I had a, my boss was actually CTO of Ericsson, so I went into him and said, uh, "I really need a, a, an Apple IIc, not mm -hmm. uh, one of these uh, other um, MS DOS machine or whatever we had at that time. I don't think it was MS DOS yet, but it could mm -hmm. be." And he said, "Why do you need it? You have secretary." Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> I buy one and I'll show you. So mm -hmm. I bought one personally mm -hmm. and uh, eventually he paid. Okay, and, and why you wanted to have one? Just for fun or you had, you know, a secret mission with Ericsson? Uh, I was um, uh, writing a lot, okay. very productive. Mm -hmm. And um, at Ericsson, using secretary for everything mm -hmm. was not uh, efficient. Mm -hmm. So... Um, uh, given I wrote so much, I felt I had to have it. And then I could uh, print at the Ericsson machines. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, writing, I preferred to have my, under my own control. Mm -hmm. and, and nowadays, we wouldn't even think any other way. So. Mm -hmm. and, and why you had to write that, that much? So you, uh, what was your you know, role at Ericsson? I, at that time, I was... Um, I identified that I was useful to come up with no idea, new ideas. So I was actually reporting to, as I said, a, a CTO of mm -hmm. Ericsson, and not directly. He had one guy between us, but uh, I often went directly into the, the boss. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I wrote uh, uh, inspiring paper. I wrote uh, basically a little book mm -hmm. uh, that was never published. In, it was in, internal. Mm -hmm. That uh, was the beginning of what I later did. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had uh, been uh, the main inspirator for uh, developing software using components when no one else used components, at least not in the telecom industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, that turned out to be uh, 10 years later. This is when I bought my Apple II. Mm -hmm. 10 years later, people had uh, come to the conclusion that this is the key reason for the success of Ericsson, uh, their switching system. Oh, no kidding. So they, I, they, 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 they switched or they migrated from monolithic to component-based system and Ericsson, and it was success. Yes. Uh, Ericsson... Um, uh, we we developed uh, uh, the system that at that time and probably still is the greatest su commercial success story ever in the history of Sweden. It has probably competition from Spotify and <coughs> some other mm -hmm. uh, successful Swedish products, but um, it it lasted long. So I I actually could. Um, um, they asked me to if I wanted to get the PhD during work hours, mm -hmm. and I was uh, crazy. So I said yes, because you know if I failed to mm -hmm. do it, mm -hmm. then uh, it would be end of history mm -hmm. uh, at Ericsson. So, um, uh, but I didn't fail. In in fact, um, uh, I I was it, it I, my thesis has been. My source of inspiration for the rest of a life. What was it, the title it, of your thesis? It, sorry, it was uh, a design. <clears throat> they asked me to make um, science mm -hmm. of the way we develop software. Mm -hmm. As simple like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was no one, no professor that uh, was interested in component-based development, uh, really. Not that in their heart. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we just felt it was a back end. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually, the professor that was my examiner, he said to me at 
uh, components uh, is a backend. He didn't mm-hmm. use that term. He used uh, some other terms, but he meant that. And um, uh, But he was my examiner. And the other professors that approved my thesis uh, uh, gave me, approved it. Mm-hmm. No more, no higher grade. And mm-hmm. still, um, <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, it has been my source of inspiration the rest of life. It basically meant that the academics at that time uh, were lagging behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that is natural. Uh, industry has to uh, demonstrate something and uh, to make it uh, more understandable, more um, uh, streamlined and uh, uh, scientific. It has to go through academic research. Mm-hmm. Um Interesting. So, which which year was it, roughly? Oh, it's uh, 1985. I got my thesis. 1985. Yeah, so so long time ago, and it yeah. still is my source of uh, major source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. There are still ideas there that um, is, are not implemented, but I, I know they will be implemented. And in uh, which programming language uh, was it? So how, how the software was written in, at Ericsson back then? Was it C? or? At that time, we uh, at Ericsson had our own, um, uh, you could call it object-based language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it supported components. Mm-hmm. It was a language to support, and actually the developer developed components. They didn't develop a whole system. Uh-huh. We developed component, but then there was uh, some other technique, not a compiler, not a language, uh, that helped us to compose these components into a complete system. And uh, uh, the components were, uh, I mean, we had at that time, DevOps was something that uh, we had already in 1976. Wow. Supported all the way to mm-hmm. operations and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, continued change was in, built into the machine. Okay. And what was the name of the programming language you l- remember? Plex. Plex. Okay. Uh, good name, actually. <laughs> and, and by the way, I have to apologize. I guess your first name is Ivar, not Ivar, right? Ivar, yes, I think. Yes. And uh, In Swedish. You know, in Swedish. Right? And yes. Jakobson, I guess, right? Absolutely correctly pronounced. Yeah. Um, I spent some time in Sweden in a project, in Java project, and uh, in Gothenburg, actually. And I will really enjoy it. So I was actually became quickly an expert because what I found out, so there is a streetcar which goes to, I think it's called Sondholmen. Is it correct? So it is the... Sondholmen, yes. Sondholmen, okay, okay. And from there, you can pick a ferry to islands. So every day, you know, I pick another island and I ask, you know, my Swedish colleagues, you know, do you know this island? So never was there. It's like I, 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 I completely explored the island. So there were like small islands and moved to the next one, right? So this was my... Social hack in Gothenburg. Very beautiful, very nice. Yeah, yeah. So were you at Chalmers? Yeah. I, I was, I think, on all the islands you can reach by ferry, you know, by the regular ferry. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So I do, but this was, I, I, I think, you, 10 years ago. I you were at uh, Chalmers Institute of Technology, or were you... No, no, no. I was at Siemens back then, quickly. Siemens? Yeah. Okay. So we built also, we also use a little bit uh, uh, UML. But, um, yeah, interesting. So, and uh, 1985... Uh, so what happened then? I think, so what happened to me is in, I guess, 1994, there was a German magazine called um, called iX, and I read a story about UML. And I said, okay, I have to actually do something about that because it's interesting. So I found, you know, Three Amigos and UML and the beginning. So I tried to learn, but um, back then I was, it was I, before I actually really started to program. So I knew you know, a little bit basic in Tuo Pascal and C, but not really. And um, but I said okay, there is something into it. So this was my first touch, and I was UML in ninety ninety four. So what happened between nineteen eighty five and nineteen ninety four? You stick with Ericsson, so you still worked at Ericsson, or what you did back then? Well, uh, uh, after I had graduated, I got um, uh, in the middle of a graduation, I mm-hmm. got actually a grant from um, a foundation mm-hmm. by the old guy who was. Uh, uh, not the founder of Ericsson, but he was the majority owner of Ericsson. Okay. And uh, I was not the only one that got that kind of grants, but um, I I got a very good grant, and I stayed uh, 
And then I contacted MIT and asked if they were interested in in letting me work with them at mm -hmm. the Institute of Function Programming. I was passionate about function programming. This is 1983. Mm -hmm. And uh, logic programming, uh, I, I, I did a lot of, um, at least uh, some uh, coding in Prologue. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, felt very comfortable with it. I understood immediately that uh, there is, um, uh, we need uh, more than one kind of language. Mm -hmm. uh, we need uh, imperative, we need uh, logic, and we need uh, functional. And um, a combination in should uh, as a hybrid, but hybrids were not very popular at that time. Erlang mm -hmm. uh, um, was developed, and I have absolutely no no uh, no contribution to Erlang. Okay. So I I want to say that, but Erlang was developed at Ericsson, mm -hmm. and um, uh, at that time uh, people at Ericsson uh, were saying, uh, no, it's C++. Uh, uh, and um, uh, so uh, <clears throat> that didn't went well inside Ericsson. It went very well outside Ericsson. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for me. I left Ericsson in 1987. Mm -hmm. and that was a very peaceful leaving because um, uh, my job at that time was continued research. But, um, and I had absolutely no plan and no thinking in setting up my own company and running my own mm -hmm. company. I knew my father was an entrepreneur. I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. I don't have that mindset, um, which um, uh, eventually turned to be wrong. Uh, that's exactly the mindset. I like uh, to run ideas to completion, not just uh, talk, 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 write papers. So, um, uh, and, and at the same time, uh, but I didn't uh, leave on my own, so mm -hmm. to, uh, on my own will. I was more or less uh, fired, uh, even if uh, that didn't exist at that time. Ericsson didn't fire people. Uh, my boss, whom I never met at Ericsson, he told me, we have no budget for you anymore. So <laughs> isn't it better you set up your own company? Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt I did a very good negotiation because I got six months of salary, mm -hmm. uh, which today is ridiculous compared to when Ericsson fires a uh, thousand of people. They get uh, at least, uh, yeah, I don't know, at least 18 months. Okay. But uh, that was the best kick I could get because I set up a company uh, that developed what... Um, uh, later became known as Russian Unified Process. Mm -hmm. uh, we developed, uh, uh, I call it Object Factory, Objectory. Objectory, it stood for Object Factory. Mm -hmm. At that time, uh, factory thinking was very popular uh, in uh, methodology space, which uh, died completely with uh, Agile. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, uh, that, we, Objecto became later acquired, my company became later acquired by Rational, mm -hmm. and Rational changed the name to Rational Objectory Process, mm -hmm. and then uh, it became Rational Unified because we did UML. So that was, at that time, the most successful methodology. Uh, and... Um, uh, it was used, I mean, uh, it was a period of... 10 years, I would say, when yeah. uh, everyone wanted to uh, learn RUP, everyone wanted to work with RUP. But then uh, Agile came and uh, basically killed all the old methods. So now the old methods started to call themselves Agile uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Agile RUP became a name for something called... I, I was not involved in that, by the way. Mm -hmm. But by the way, uh, it was hugely successful. So I yeah, spent most, most of my time you know, in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, uh, some Sweden, and everywhere. Rational Unified Process was everywhere. So it was 
highly misused as Agile is. You know, there were lots of consultants who just were interested in the diagrams and not in the actual process. This was the main problem. Certification, all the stuff, the same problem with Agile, I would say, exactly the same. Um, and maybe not the Agile, more like, you know, how this called the Scrum, Scrum Masters and stuff. You know, there's, uh, you have to think, I, I would say you have to think about, you know, build good software and not about, you know, uh, which certification you need because then, then it doesn't work anymore. But um, what I like about the rational unified process, um, I think the first thing is, I, I think it was called division, right? So the idea was, this was almost forgotten, that you have to write, you know, as a sh short summary, why you build the system at all. So this was, you know, I found it in the rational unified process, and I say, okay, you know, huge, you know, complex system with rational IOs, but why you are building this actually? This was my, you know, my hack, my question. And uh, they say, why well, would you like to know it? It's like, because it's a part of rational unified process. And, you know, like in a one pager, just briefly describe what the system is doing, and which also is, was very good. Um, I would say the use case diagrams, there's very similar to user stories. And um, my take was, you know, if, uh, so UML was for me a standard. So if, if we sketch something, why not to pick, you know, UML diagrams? Before I invent my own, you know, my sketching uh, uh, stuff, I would just pick, you know, the diagrams. So I use whatever I needed from UML. It worked for me, but I was not too dogmatic. And I think the problem is people you know believe that the rational unified process is the entire, you know, if you follow everything, you will build great software. Then it doesn't doesn't work. They drop it all together and I say, okay, let's start with Agile, and there's another extreme, and there are no diagrams at all, just you know, iterate, 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 extreme programming. And then I say, okay, we need something, you know, in between. <laughs> this is always there, there is no black and white, I would say, you know, software development is gray, at least is how I see it, right? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, this is a very interesting story. Um, RAP was the most successful product at that uh, methodology or process at that time. Uh, but I saw the complexity and, you know, we, at, we, had, we wrote the process handbook mm -hmm. that was about... Um, uh, several thousand pages. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, two thousand maybe, and uh, no one ever read all that. Uh, mm -hmm. Not even I. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was not leading the effort, uh, but um, uh, we and uh, I at least understood when Agile came. I understood immediately it will uh, have a huge impact on RAP, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, <clears throat> I um, felt that. There is a lot of knowledge in RUP. There mm -hmm. is a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, things that are now coming back, like uh, uh, architecture is very important, even in agile projects. And um, at least uh, those who really have an architecture, there are smaller projects that don't need to have it. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, so we had a lot of uh, competence there. Uh, it was iterative. It was uh, it, uh, incremental, but it was uh, uh, not as short um, mm -hmm. uh, iterations mm -hmm. and uh, sprints as mm -hmm. today. So, of course, there were things that uh, could be better, and uh, that is what will happen forever. Things will be better, but at mm -hmm. that point in time, there were good things. However, the problem was it became too big, it was too clumsy, and uh, heavy in all aspects. It was um, impossible to really learn mm -hmm. uh, the whole rap. Mm -hmm. So uh, I founded a company uh, with my eldest daughter who, who worked at uh, Rational but left. She wanted to do something different than being a salesperson at the Rational. Mm -hmm. So I suggested to her why don't we do what I've been dreaming about for 20 years? Because all in 1981, I was standing on the, uh, on the front line and saying, uh, we should start to think about using artificial intelligence inside Ericsson. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a little 50-page uh, uh, paper about how uh, an intelligent agent could help. Uh, we use the term intelligent agents for for what today people call a co-pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, intelligent agent is that software that helps you, uh, a particular individual or role, to do the job. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, side by side. Mm -hmm. The individual is in command, but the software do all the 
and not all uh, as much of a boring or uh, no brain work because mm-hmm. when you develop software you think for a, a couple of minutes and then you follow a pattern mm-hmm. most often mm-hmm. that pattern can be uh, described mm-hmm. in uh, in forms of rules mm-hmm. and uh, uh, ai technique so we deal we built a product to support um, uh, rap mm-hmm. at least the uh, essential parts of rap and uh, that product worked uh, fantastic uh, the clients loved it. Uh, we had many, we had many banks, the insurance companies. They just loved it. Mm-hmm. But Rupp died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and then the product, since it supported Rupp uh, way of working, it died. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really didn't die, but I actually took that company and acquired that company into my current company. Okay. So it is still alive. Uh, well, it's still there, but not mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I learned two things. <clears throat> First, we cannot build for one single process. We need to build for universal stuff, something that is universally acceptable. And two, <clears throat> Agile uh, came and Agile was another reason why it was killed, because Agile was anti these kind of tools. So what we need, we need to get the next wave of AI. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. So there we are sitting on... Uh, first, what we did is develop Essence and uh, made Essence an international standard. Uh, it's not only uh, me. Uh, I had a role to drive it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had uh, hundreds of people involved in uh, developing this standard. Uh, and we, we <clears throat> tried to find a common ground for all methods and mm-hmm. frameworks. What's common? What is it that we can say we always have, we always do, we always need, and so on? And that became essence. Mm-hmm. So you can see essence as a specification. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can reuse when mm-hmm. you develop your own method. Mm-hmm. So on top of essence, you can describe all kinds of practices. Mm-hmm. And these practices are then described in a standard, standard language, mm-hmm. namely the essence language. Very simple, two hours to learn. That mm-hmm. is, uh, was the model. And <clears throat> uh, we have today... Uh, work and we also do it uh, in a different way than most methodologies do. We don't take a, a, a method or practice and make it our own. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, we work with Jeff Savaland when it comes to Scrum, and we did <clears throat> an essentialization of Scrum together with Jeff, mm-hmm. and he is the intellectual owner of that. Mm-hmm. It's not me. Mm-hmm. We have suggested improvement, but he had to say yes. So essence is a kind of facade. It's a, <clears throat> a kind of uh, process framework, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same kind of framework that uh, SAFE, for instance, or any other of them. I have a question regarding the agent and rationalized unified process. So intelligent agent, what was the task? What was the goal of the agent? Did he create it or it created afterwards the diagrams, the description? Or what was the job of the intelligent agents back then? It could help you to create the diagram, use Mm -hmm. case diagram. Mm -hmm. uh, And you mentioned the boundary control uh, Mm -hmm. diagrams. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, uh, move over to design and create an architecture. Mm and uh, testing uh, all the, the, the whole way from use cases all the way. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what it did, actually, it, uh, it prompted questions. Mm-hmm. To, if, um, if a user was an amateur, for instance, mm-hmm. to do analysis, mm-hmm. uh, in, in one bank, I, I remember, it, it was a Swedish bank, mm-hmm. uh, a guy who um, had never worked with specification. He was specifying a new product. 
So the tool basically prompted uh, what is the main idea? Uh, I mean, basically finding out your building, uh, question after question. Mm-hmm. And then it sorted out what the product would be, created mm-hmm. use cases mm-hmm. uh, um, with the help of a, <coughs> sorry, mm-hmm. the developer was uh, in command mm-hmm. and uh, uh, answered questions, but it was helped to answer these questions. It was clearly a co-pilot. And um, <coughs> This was uh, the guy uh, I mentioned, he had never done anything like that himself, but he just loved the tool. And then he could even go in to do do analysis uh, using uh, uh, boundary control and entity objects, Mm -hmm. and he had never done anything like this. Mm -hmm. And so basically our hypothesis was that a big percentage of the work we do today if we follow a, a, a process, is um, no brain work. It mm-hmm. is, um, uh, and I heard numbers like 80%. We clearly removed, say, 40% of the work that otherwise would have to be done by someone who had a, a clear understanding himself, himself or herself of how it should be done. With a tool like this tool was called Waypointer, you didn't really need to have a lot of that knowledge. So this was my weapon back in mm-hmm. 2000, uh, started the company in 2000, to um, fight uh, the heaviness of RAP mm-hmm. and to make it light. But uh, as I said, two things killed it, RAP died, mm-hmm. and uh, agile came. Yeah. So, how the agent was implemented? Was it a neural network, or how you did it back then? No, we we basically designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I think it designed it dot net. I mm-hmm. I'm not hundred percent sure now. Um, uh, we had about ten people developing Waypointer, and uh, we we. Uh, Designed, we designed our own rule, our own rule language, mm-hmm. our own rule engine, uh-huh. but implemented it in .NET. Uh-huh. So it was a lot of if, if, then, else, if, then, else, and yeah. so on. But uh, it, it was, uh, uh, we thinking was in rules. Uh-huh. We had to develop our own rule language because uh, of this um, co-pilot if I say so, mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, what's, um, or interesting, I, I mean, I didn't know about that. So um, uh, I would say in Germany or in, yeah, uh, Rational Unified Processing UML was uh, even more successful 2005, 6, 7. I know it for sure because lots of companies use that. And what was also very successful was the idea of model-driven architecture where you describe, you know, UML in PIM, in platform independent model. Then you had the transformer, which generated you know, the platform-specific model. And I used that a lot with Java and J2E to generate the XML descriptors and all the plumbing, um, mostly with Together and also with, uh, I think, Magic Draw. So there was like an you know, engine and this was like, you know, um, like an iterator. So I iterated over the PIM, took the information and generated all the code. was also very successful. But this was actually killed by uh, pro increasing efficiency and productivity of Java. In my case, I'm a Java developer because you know, right now you can write very lean Java code without any plumbing and this MDA generated you know, all the, I would say, uh, self-evident stuff, right? You know, interfaces, factories, and XML, which is just you know, uh, information, information application. So now, you helped me a lot with boundary control entity, and i tell you why. So um, I, I spend lots of my time in Java projects, enterprise Java projects, and the problem was always, you know, the design, not architecture and design, and especially naming, you can imagine. So and uh, so I came up with my own names. Actually, I wrote a book about that. So like, you know, there, there was like facade, service, and domain. But in every project, people ask me, you know, uh, why, you t- why you name it, you know, facade and not endpoint? Why it's domain and not pojos or entity or whatever? And then I found boundary control entity, and I took a look at this, and I said, actually, it was designed 
for the views, but it fits perfectly also the backend. And the huge advantage of boundary control entity is the sorting in the IDE. BCE, so boundary comes first, then control, and then entity. So my stuff was never no rightly sorted in the IDE because, you know, facet, service, or service, uh, there was like the entity came first and whatever. So by accident, it was right. So the idea was boundary is like, you know, the interface to the outside world. Like, you know, it could be REST, SOAP, or whatever. Control, if there is some, you know, some uh, some additional processing to do, so there is in control. And entities, long-lived data, domain objects, sometimes even, you know, uh, transient domain objects, but usually JPA entities which are mapped to, to databases. And this took off because at the meeting, if someone asked me, you know, uh, about boundary control entity, I pointed to you, so like, reads his book, you know, I don't care, this is a standard. And this was, you know, the greatest social hack in the last 15 years because I could focus on the real thing and never ever had to discuss, you know, the naming. So uh, for me, standards are great. Because you don't have, you know, to reinvent the wheel in every project. So you can point to something which somehow works. And to be honest, I don't like the naming a lot because, you know, boundary is okay. Control is overloaded with, you no know, UI control. So it is a bit problematic. And entity is fine. So it could, domain would be better. So um, probably I completely misused, you know, your methodology. But I wanted to, to tell you, you know, to say thank you because it worked great for me. And what I'm doing right now, I do the same boundary control entity in web components. So there is a standard, web standard, called Custom Elements and Web Components. So I also using BCE, you know, in the front end where the boundary is this what you see on the screen. Control is like the glue between the screen and the store, which is Redux store and store around the entities. So I hope I used your methodology right all the years. And uh, so what's your take or how you found boundary control entity was it your idea and, 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 and why you invented it? Or what, what is the story between boundary, uh, behind Boundary Control Entity? It was uh, quite logical. If you want to uh, create um, implementation free mm -hmm. description of your use cases, of mm -hmm. uh, the requirements, mm -hmm. um, there are, there are things you need to remember. There are things that uh, you need to talk about in the interface. And there is then something that uh, coordinates between uh, these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was something um, we came up, it was me, yeah, in uh, back in uh, uh, yeah, 1985, 86, mm -hmm. uh, or something, maybe a little later. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, and it has uh, still still used, and yeah. uh, but not uh, uh, as with many other things. Uh, it it became a part of UML, a profile of UML. Uh, many things UML has also uh, re been reduced in usage, mm -hmm. uh, but um, the world is coming back uh, because. Um, uh, there is a lot of interest to really get UML mm -hmm. to to come back in some shape. Mm -hmm. uh, I participate in discussions about that. Uh, it's not my key key point, but it's still something I think is important. But I think um, you described ECB in a book, right? This was yes. your, yeah, because I found the cover of the book. I think I read this book, but uh, maybe twenty years ago. But I still refer to the book. It's like, if you would like to know, read the book. I'm not sure whether someone reads the book, but then the discussion ends. You know, this is my hack. It's like, okay, this is the book, <laughs> which was really great. What I have to tell you, the boundary control entity is available. The icons, you know, the 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 um, the really iconic icons. Almost everyone knows that are available in all tools. This is it is available in Visio. It is available in Drawio, like the open source tool in um, Enterprise Architect, Magic Draw. Whatever you get, uh, even OmniGraffle on Mac, on Apple, uh, uh, understands the icon. So for me, it was really great to sketch a system, you know. So this is a boundary control entity and everything in a package, which in my eyes is almost like a component, a little less so. And, um, and uh, what I do in Java, so the components are Java packages and boundary control entity are sub-packages. So I have uh, always in my system, in all my software I've, I've write actually, there's a boundary package, control a package and entity package. 
And uh, the, the, the really interesting part is I have only one, how to call it, one big rule. You have to name, you know, the, the, the component packages after business meaning, after domain stuff. So you, know, you would be not allowed in my project, you know, to call something, uh, I don't know, data access object factory, utility, foundation, because it's meaningless. So um, I try to enforce, you know, just business names in the packages and boundary control entities looks always the same. And the impact is now you can look, you know, and all Java projects, if you know the domain, you immediately find out what the, what the system is doing. So this was um, this was a very simple rule, but it worked surprisingly well. And uh, lots of Java developers say, okay, this is actually really great. It's okay. Boundary control entity is not for me, right? I just, you know, uh, pick the idea from you, but it works really well. Oh, wonderful. It's uh, music to my ears. Yeah, um, I was a little bit afraid, you know, with the podcast with you, because if you tell me I, I did it completely wrong, I misunderstood the entire process, now I have the problem, you know, we have to cancel the podcast because uh, <laughs> all my work in the last 15 years or 20 years was completely wrong, right? So, um, so, but... Um, no, absolutely not. Oh, thank I, you. I, I think um, uh, there are many things that uh, will come back. Email is coming back, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But uh, what is uh, really uh, something that um, uh, I haven't talked so much about, this essence that we created, and now we have uh, many uh, famous people, mm -hmm. uh, famous methodologists, uh, adopting essence to write, describe their methods and practices. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned it, Jeff Sutherland, uses it for SCUM and SCUM at scale. Mm -hmm. uh, we have um, Scott Ambler mm -hmm. using it for, for um, uh, his new practices and, uh, and uh, part of Discipline Agile was this guy using uh, uh, Essence. He stands fully behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, David Anderson for Kanban, some, some part of Kanban, uh, we have, uh, and uh, now, uh, a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to speak together with um, Nigel Turlov, mm -hmm. who had created the Flow system together with um, John Turner, uh, which is a very interesting framework, uh, very, uh, very interesting, uh, very much in competition with the top other uh, mm -hmm. frameworks. And... Um, there are eight about people that have become our partners. The thing is, we don't uh, we don't um, rewrite. We don't create. We don't take their work mm -hmm. and do it ourselves. We work with them, mm -hmm. and they are owners of the result. Mm -hmm. Now, but in the whole time, all the time here, since uh, we did this waypoint of product, which actually got uh, a productivity product award. 2004, um, and uh, uh, and that was this uh, product was consisted of a, of a set of intelligent agents, mm -hmm. um, but it uh, it uh, more or less died due to, as I said, Rap died, and um, uh, and Agile didn't like uh, that kind of tools. But now we have a renaissance of uh, AI. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in my work with Essence, Essence basically was uh, inspired by <coughs> being able to support um, many methods mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, give AI support not only to one method, but to many methods. Mm -hmm. So we are now um, very soon, in, in, in the end of this month, <coughs> we are going to demo in, um, in uh, Lisbon at mm -hmm. the World Agility Forum, we are going to show that, um, to summarize it simply, essence, AI, AI plus essence mm -hmm. is much better than just AI mm -hmm. because essence helps us to, to, to um, uh, prompt questions mm -hmm. enormously. Mm -hmm. We can get hundreds of questions and hundreds of questions. And not only that, also, the practice is built on top of Essence, so you can get the SCUM-specific uh, questions. All that is supported by 
having built essence. So we are extremely well equipped to apply ChatGPT, uh, but not only ChatGPT, also uh, with intelligent agents that help you to model and do work, uh, do your job. It's mm -hmm. not only for uh, creating questions for learning and 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 uh, uh, inspiration or using a practice. It's also for creating models. And that is not, you don't get that from GPT technique, you get it from, from um, uh, intelligent agents. So to, to my understanding, so Essence AI is like prompt engineer on steroids, right? This is, it helped you to, to, to ask the right questions. So this is the main problem with the entire AI. So you have like, you know, a curated set or best, uh, or a, a question best practice technique, which, uh, which uh, and the agent will ask you the right questions. And if you answer the questions, you are following the best practice without knowing it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, this is perfect because this is actually the entire problem of AI, you know, you have to know which question to ask. Because, yes. you know, I mean, this is, if you, if you know the question, you know, it is not a problem, the knowledge, but it's always the truth. Even with Google, you always have to know to think about the question first. So this is what you, what you, what you told me a few minutes ago. So uh, the problem is, you know, the, the thinking and everything else is plumbing and AI can help us to reduce the plumbing like MDA did, you know, 20 years ago, but a little bit more efficiently. And uh, yeah, this is actually, this is actually interesting. So I have two, two, two questions because one was about Agile. I have to admit, I don't like Agile a lot. And the reason being is, for me, it is self-evident. Why? If you watch someone, let's say a musician, who would like you know, to learn guitar, whatever happens is iterative. There is no waterfall. You know, it's like, you know, you have to read a book and then you are Jimi Hendrix, you know, you have to iterate. So, you know, play one note, two notes, three notes, and the entire process is Agile, iterative, without knowing it. If someone learns to program, so I had lots of in uh, interviews, you know, in my... You are a little bit different, right? Because uh, if I ask you about the first computer, we, we skipped maybe the first few years of your life, right? So usually you, I get questions like, my first computer was Commodore 64 or whatever, and, and, and your first was a job, right? So, but, um, and, and everyone, you know, start playing, tinkering, iterative process, and then they had a problem, they iterated, 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 and started and became professional. So to my knowledge, there was no one who just read a book and became a software engineer, like would be a waterfall. And even waterfall, I would say, at the beginning, was iterative. So there was the waterfall was not as waterfall as, as many thinking, right? I'd never been. I yeah, think. never been. So um, so I would say the agile was like you know, selling something, which everyone knows about, right? This, this was you know the, the 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 misconception that the software industry is different to to the entire world, that you have you know to think a lot and then sit down and write everything down. And if you if you follow all the you know all 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 the rational unified process and whatever. Everything was iterative. Mm. There was some something went wrong on the way, you know, between between the spec. What happened? So, and and what's your take on agile? Because for me, it was of course, you know, it has to be iterative. You know, just talking how iterative has to be, and whether it's two two weeks iteration or two days iteration. Um, so right now in my project, we have sometimes one day iterations, but what it really depends on the project, right? We cannot say all projects have to iterate two weeks or one one day, or it really depends, you know, on the context as always, right? I mean, <clears throat> Agile has meant a lot and it was needed, mm -hmm. but we, uh, but it didn't need to be so fundamental, mm -hmm. basically throwing out everything we had. Mm -hmm. To just uh, um, do sim same same thing, developing software, mm -hmm. but with a different, uh, completely different way of thinking. So everything old was bad, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that uh, that was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But it prob I, I have to be paradoxical here. Mm -hmm. On one hand, it was unnecessary. On another hand, it was necessary because mm -hmm. at that time we didn't have a technique and the foundation to basically, a, a, in a systematic way, change the old way of doing things mm -hmm. to the agile way of doing things. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, and that is one of the things that uh, is now built into using Essence because you can, in small steps 
Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, important steps change mm-hmm. uh, any process mm-hmm. to something better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people who invested millions and millions in dollars, I mean, we, I know companies that invested in millions in dollar, uh, of dollars in RAP, mm-hmm. and then they had to throw it out because mm-hmm. we, young people didn't want to hear anything else than uh, things that were agile. Mm-hmm. But all these things could, in an organized way, have been uh, replaced. So the people who already have learned, let's say, the old way of working, mm-hmm. could, in a small steps, learn the mm-hmm. new way of working. Mm-hmm. And that is true for, you know, RAP uh, was a revolution compared to what was there before, the structured, structured methods. Yeah. The structured methods were... To some extent, uh, good, but they had uh, uh, they were think they had a metaphor that the, what they developed had two parts: program and data. Mm-hmm. And now we are thinking more in terms of components, uh, objects, and so on. Mm-hmm. So even that, even that could have been done. Mm-hmm. For me, the um, uh, agile was very 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 good for management. Because uh, just I find the agile manifesto, what it says, you know, individual and interactions over processes and tools, working software all over comprehensive documentation, custom customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and respond, responding to change over following a plan. So if you if you show this to the manager, you can explain things like, for instance, you know, the software documentation. So what I remember in uh, Java, right, this the entire Java doc was highly misused. Because the entire Java doc was generated, and I was highly against that. Because I, I don't know, you know a little bit Java maybe, so you know there are like getters and setters. And what I really hated in all the projects was like this is a getter which returns a string. You know, they just rephrase what already in the code, and then the entire Java code base was bloated. And I just say just stop writing such comments. You know, and uh, and with Agile Manifesto, I pick whatever I needed. You know, to fight the bloat. So this was good for management, but I think all the Programmers who wanted, who just wanted to to build good software and 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 have fun, they were iterative from the beginning. You know, they, they, whether it was XP or Crystal or, or Agile or whatever uh, or Scrum, it, they just iterated and they make another software better with or without diagrams. Now, uh, the second thing about um, essence and AI. So, if you think about this, I can now go to. To, to chat GPT because I, I had lots of spent lots of time I could also get questions what's my take you know on AI and software engineering and let's say I go to chat GPT and say write a Java program uh, let's say you now we have chat GPT 10 right in in five years and they say just write banking software for me so if I just misspell something or or you know I don't specify it correctly it will generate for me the software and either I will have to review the source code and completely understand what happened, which is probably impossible or will take longer than actually write this by myself, which we already had the same problem. I don't know whether you remember, you know, the entire movement of offshore was the same problem. You know, you have, you have to spec and, and the idea was you send the spec to someone and someone will just write it down and you are done, which never worked. I would say ChatGPT is, is similar, right? But uh, faster iterations. But this is like, you know, your offshore agent, I would say, for me. So now the problem is, you know, how to know uh, or how to document what, you know, ChatGPT did. Because uh, if you have the second version, you, you either you build on that or you say regenerate the system. So I would say where Essence AI could be interesting, you know, to try to document all these steps. Because I would say the source code, will lose its meaning if you think about this, right? Because if JetGPT generates source code and uh, and you have no time to read the source code, I don't care about the source code, it can generate a bytecode and I'm fine as long as it works. But you still need to understand what happens behind the scenes, you know, not only from the yeah. developer perspective, but from traceability, auditability, you know, for, for, uh, for all the certifications required. So I think then Essence AI could be a necessity, right? It's not like nice to have, but you will have something to do, you know, to document this entire process again, right? Absolutely. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Very good. So I understood, you know, your Essence AI movement. And um... yeah, and <clears throat> uh, 
as you understand, uh, it's like getting a, a, a present from heaven to find that now we what's needed to really make it successful mm-hmm. is, is as far as we understand mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. So uh, we uh, look out for this this mm-hmm. presentation. Uh, I don't know if it will be re- recorded, but um, uh, I- I- we can we can um, create a demo ourselves. So, and I will you, point to the demo. I have, uh, also can reference on my YouTube channel, whatever. So I'm really interesting. So it could be yeah. interesting. Um, uh, one question, the personal question: Are you still coding a little bit, just for fun, or no? No, no, no. I don't. Uh, I'm too busy. Uh, but I read code at least. Ah, and you uh, enjoy it? Uh, yeah. Uh, I read to see how it could be better. To be honest with you, one of my problems is that I'm never really uh, uh, happy with what I've done. I always want to make it better. And the uh, same thing with uh, languages. Uh, I always think about how things can be better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that is... Uh, uh, something deep in my genes, and probably not uh, uh, always ideal, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I'm a very happy man, uh, living a very good life, and um, enjoying every minute yeah. of uh, uh, work. To me, uh, what I'm doing is not, uh, I don't feel it as work. Most people will consider it work, but I think it's uh, having fun. Yeah, the same is here. The problem in my case is lack of time. I really enjoy my work, but the t- the problem with enjoying work is, you know, that the life goes too fast. So sometimes I would say I would like, you know, to get a boring job for for one year and yeah. and really, you know, make make the time move a little bit slower, because uh, for me it's just uh, so many interesting things, you know, um, yeah. and 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 uh, the uh, the more fun you have. The faster you know the time goes. I don't know whether it's the right thing. This is this is my problem, but you are one of my adults because you are a little bit older. I would say uh, a little bit. And right. um, uh, how old are you? I may, may ask you. Is it actually? I had birthday two days ago. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Yes, second of September, and uh, I was born um, uh, the day the day after Germany went into Poland. Okay, and the day before, mm-hmm. uh, France and England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my parents had a little uh, uh, warring time when they were standing on the uh, beach in Ystad. Ystad mm-hmm. is just opposite to uh, to uh, 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 Germany. Okay, uh, and uh, they could see the flashes in the sky. Okay. September 1st. Okay. That was a worrying time. Mm-hmm. And um, for them, uh, I knew, of course, not much about it, but um, mm-hmm. I grew up in a very nice little city, mm-hmm. 13,000 people, mm-hmm. became a, a, a passionate handball player, but um, not uh, in, a, in a star position. Uh, however, I became a best coach in town wow so i i learned i love to to train mm-hmm. i love to make uh, people uh, more successful mm-hmm. and um, they were very successful yeah very good so um uh, so i thinking you are not thinking about retirement there is no such a thing like retirement right no retirement uh, uh, no yeah very good, because you, you become even more my idol right now, because what I think about retirement, if you retire, you still would like, you know, to read books or do some Sudoku or whatever. So before I do this, I let st- still, you know, I will do coding and you can do, you know, your AI with essence. It's this, exactly the same thing. So enjoy what you are doing and just keep it doing, right? So Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm also writing uh, two family books. Uh-huh. Uh, and the one is titled, uh, you know, I have a young son. He's seven years old. And um, uh, he, um, uh, so, so he, I, I, I've tried, I promised I'm going to give a speech when he has his 50th birthday. Mm-hmm. 
and and I will be a little older at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, if uh, for some reason uh, I wouldn't be there, mm-hmm. I am writing a book mm-hmm. titled uh, uh, "What They Don't Teach You at School: Colon mm-hmm. to Be Smart." Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel that this education system, prime not Sweden, is a little bit better because. Uh, uh, they focus more on the e, um, what, uh, the uh, e- emotional sides, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, e- EQ than mm-hmm. uh, IQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not more, uh, equally much about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, uh, in many other countries, let me mention China just as an example, China, Korea and so on, where we is primarily about uh, uh, knowledge uh, acquisition mm-hmm. instead of knowledge usage. Mm-hmm. And to be smart, you need to use your knowledge in mm-hmm. right way. Mm-hmm. So this is a passion I have. I've working on this for many years in the, on the side. Now I am working a little bit more, but I have help right now to do it. Very interesting. So I would really interested in the book. If you if you can send me a pointer, so I would also try to promote it. Because what's also interests me how to learn. It will not be a published book, by the way. Oh, then it's pity. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe someone twists my arms and say, "Make it public," uh, and it's not impossible. But um, this is would... not planned. Okay, this would be this, this would be fine because my observation is. Uh, Observing myself, basically, you know, if you're passionate about thinking about something, you learn without knowing it, right? Because uh, and and but if you are, you know, if you and even if you know, okay, I have to acquire the knowledge, you know, before in order to do this, you are still more successful because you know the why you should do this. So if you know, it's very similar to the vision statement, irrational unified process, right? If you know why you have something to do, you are far more, you know into it and, and you you, you learn orders of many magnitudes faster and nothing is impossible i would say but you know just uh, uh just you know to perform an eq test and you are not motivated you will maybe even fail not fail you will not as great as you know if you are motivated in your area so it is uh, so i'm i'm it's a pity but um it will be a really interesting book we'll see uh, and the other book is uh, more like um, a, a, a set of storytelling so storytelling is very important, yes. and it needs to be fun. Yeah, uh, no one reads a book uh, um, without um, it, it is entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I have so many fun stories, um, meeting interesting people. And what I would love to do is this book going to be published or not? No. So this is my next stage, you know, to write books for fun, for private. So this is you know, this is what I'm not at the level as you, but it's also interesting. What I would love to do in one point of time, in reinvite you back and talk a little bit more deeply about essence AI and funny stories. I really enjoyed funny stories as well. This would be a great pleasure for me and yeah. my listeners. I can uh, we can have a funny story uh, podcast. Yeah, uh, and I guarantee there are a whole bunch of them. So let's do it. So have you uh, maybe after Lisbon, uh, if you are a little bit more quiet time. And uh, we can talk about how Wisbon late uh, went. Maybe there's a recording. We can point to the recording and funny story podcast. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, we can do that. Absolutely. Perfect. That, that could be, uh, uh, I think uh, that would probably be more interesting than this podcast because uh, people love to have a good laugh, right? Yeah, but this is also important to capture some of the history. Where people can find your company, Essence AI and you, on Twitter and whatever you like, so whatever resources you have. I will point also to show notes, but maybe, you know, where people can find you on the internet. Okay. Where? You, you know how to find find all that information, right? Yeah, I will find, uh, I will put to the show notes, you know, uh, the uh, Twitter, your Twitter pointer, Eva Jacobson Consulting, right? All the all the pointers and, and uh, then will be show notes of the podcast. You can also, uh, a particular LinkedIn series that I'm just now writing, uh, titled Our Journey to AI. And um, it has, uh, I think, the second uh, article mm-hmm. will be published today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, there will be three that talks about what 
what we have done mm-hmm. uh, and now we are talking about uh, and then we talk about what we are doing perfect thank you so i will okay. reinvite you back for the funny stories for sure so this is this is set in stone if not i will send you a tweet every day you know just to get give, give you back on the show <laughs> so i'm really into it and uh, the only thing I know in Swedish is two, uh, no, two things I know in Swedish. One is Fika, which means break, because I learned it to know from my colleagues. Fika, yeah. 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 And the other one is Kale Anka, of course, because in all the you know, uh, demos, they just use Kale Anka. It's like, who is Kale Anka? And they told me this Donald Duck, right? <laughs> yes. And you said Spotify is a very Swedish company. And I think uh, Skype was also Swedish, right? Which one? Skype. Skype, yes, yes. Yeah, they sold it for a huge uh, amount of money, actually. This was, uh, this was roughly 2003 or four. It was uh, way beyond their day time. And uh, regarding Ericsson, I love the company, but what I remember, it was maybe 2005, six. They had cellular phones. I had one from, from Ericsson. And it was incredibly thin, what I remember. It was a very thin, and I couldn't open this. It was almost like a paper. So I, I forgot, you know, I forgot the name of the of the phone, but I was really impressed. It was you no know, way beyond the time. So Ericsson was always, you know, um, uh, interesting to me. So thank you and uh, see you in a few weeks, month, but I will ping you for sure. Thank you so much.